You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? Hey, we are so glad that you're here. Happy Father's Day. Dads, I hope you enjoy your wallet, your tie, or your cologne in whichever order your family gets that for you. So let me start. I got to tell you the story of, it's a story of two flight attendants on a flight to Pittsburgh and home. And that will kind of set up what we're talking about. But I was invited uh, a couple of, I guess a few years ago now to be the, um, the keynote speaker at this conference. And they were going to do the whole conference around this book that I wrote called Pull. And uh, it was written for church leaders. And so they were doing this whole uh, this whole event. So they said, we want, we, we're doing it based on your book. Would you come be the speaker? And I said, sure. And so I flew to Pittsburgh on a Friday night and uh, I was flying American. So I flew out of Fort Lauderdale and then they upgraded me to first class because if you're not aware, God loves me a little bit more. Uh, and so I get on the plane and I'm kind of getting my gear ready. Now I packed pretty light on trips, just a backpack or a duffel bag. That's it. And so, but I do you know, bring stuff to kind of entertain myself on the plane. So I have my iPad and I have my headphones and I had, the, I had downloaded this new Star Wars documentary that had come out. And so I'm getting myself situated. And as I'm getting myself situated, I lose my phone. And so as I'm looking for my phone, the flight attendant gets on the intercom and says, hey, we need everybody to take their seats because we're getting ready to take off. So I'm, and I'm really, so now, I, but I can't, I gotta, I gotta find my phone. I'm positive that I had it. I just don't know where it is. And so a friend of mine who came with me is a couple rows back, not in first class, because as I mentioned before, God loves me a little bit more than him at least. And so anyway, so he says, what's wrong? And I said, I can't find my phone. He says, oh, look, I'll FaceTime you and then you can hear the phone ring. So he FaceTimes me and my daughter Mia picks up the phone. And, uh, and so then I remembered I'm like, this, how is this possible? And then I'm like, oh, because Mia has my old tablet. My old tablet is connected to my Apple ID, which is why she would get all of my text messages and respond uh, when people would say, hey, Bob. I was like, hey, oh, yeah, sure, he'll be happy to do that. And uh, it's like, listen, let me do Anyway, so she answers, and my friend is in the back. He's like, hey, your dad lost his phone on the plane, and I'm trying to help him out by calling him. And then she says, let me talk to my dad. So he turns the phone, and then she starts yelling at me, on the middle of the plane. So she's 10 years old. She's like, dad, why did you lose your phone? You need your phone to communicate with us when you're out of town. Well, now all the people, everyone is quiet on the plane because they're like, who is this person yelling at this man who's torn apart his entire duffel bag? And now I'm yelling back. I'm like, woman, the last thing I need is you yelling at me right now. And so anyway, so now I've created a little in-flight entertainment. And so, and I'm looking to see, I cannot find my phone, the flight is now delayed because I won't sit down because I got I to gotta find this phone and I'm not making any friends because people are now very frustrated with me. Um, the flight attendant comes over and she's like, are you all right? And I'm like, listen, I am so sorry. I'm just, I got to find this phone. I know it's here somewhere. And so, and I'm apologizing for delaying the plane. And she's like, don't worry, baby, it's okay. And I'm like, hey, I really appreciate that. And, and I'm even okay with you calling me baby. And, um, <laughs> and uh, so anyway, I finally found the phone, which is kind of wedged in the bottom of the seat, and then I put everything back together. I get to Pittsburgh at almost midnight, 
and then um, I go to sleep for a couple of hours. I wake up, speak four times at this conference. By 4 p.m., I'm back at the airport on the plane to be home on Saturday evening and then speak on Sunday here. Now, my flight home from Pittsburgh was a very different experience. The flight attendant, this lady was no joke. She was yelling at people as they were getting on the plane about all the things that they hadn't done wrong yet, but probably would. And, and then she tells everybody to put their phones away. So she gets on the intercom and she tells everybody to put their phones away, put it on airplane mode. And then um, when she finally gets on the intercom, she starts calling people out. And she's like, sir, I see you text. Yeah, sir, with the blue shirt, I see you texting. You cannot text when you're on airplane mode. So stop it. And then she slams the phone down. And I mean, people are on edge. And so then... It's almost like she remembers. And I don't know if you remember a few years ago when Samsung had these phones that were just exploding. Uh, and not just not like on purpose. They just would just, just explode. So then she gets on the, phone, on, on the intercom. And she's like, oh, and by the way, if you have a Samsung Galaxy, get off this plane now. And then hangs up. And so, and then she starts, she's walking around yelling at people to put on their seatbelts. And then she looks over to me, because once again, I, I, they, they upgraded me on the way back too. So I'm, the, I'm like one row back. She looks at me. You ever do that where you just say, and then you look at someone like for affirmation? You're like, huh, right? And, and, and I was just like, you know, I'm just looking straight ahead. I'm just, the, the back of this chair looks so fascinating right now. And, uh, and so I'm just yeah, I'd look like some kind of maniac. And here's the weird thing. You know how people would press the button and they'll say, like, oh, you know, can I get a glass of water or a pillow? No one asked that woman for anything on a two and a half hour flight. I mean, not even a beverage, nothing. Now, here's why I tell you this. Because the challenge that we have with both of these scenarios is that we think this is the, these are the only two options. We're either slamming the phone down like a sociopath uh, or we're letting everybody do whatever they want because it's no big deal even if it disrupts everyone else. And, and what happens is, is that non-Christians, right, have this tendency to try to push Christians into the, it's okay, baby, do whatever you want corner, thinking that we should never criticize, compare, or confront anyone about anything at any time. The problem is, is that a lot of times as Christians, we're the ones that are yelling into the phone, telling people to get off the plane. And so what are we supposed to do? And I don't believe the goal is to be on either side of this aisle. I think Jesus is going to teach us how to fly on a totally different plane altogether. And so we've been in this series called The Story as we've been working our way through the Gospel of Matthew. And if you can believe this, this is the 13th message in this series, and we've only made it to chapter, the beginning of chapter seven, so we, we're not burning through this, that's for sure. But we've been calling the series in Matthew the story because we are firmly convinced that if you will learn his story, that it will change yours. And so part of what's slowed us down is that we've been working our way um, through the Jesus's most famous sermon, which is the Sermon on the Mount. Now, here's the thing that we have to understand is that the slow nature by which we take these words, it can make us seem like every time we show up at church, oh, Jesus is talking about some other random thing. None of this thing, this whole sermon, everything builds on what has been said before, and it's all leading to this big crescendo that we're going to look at next week when we finish the Sermon on the Mount. But Jesus begins, this whole idea is, he's talking about what does it mean to be human in God's world? And so every section builds on the one before, and so he talks about 
uh, he begins the sermon talking about what it means to be happy, what it means to be blessed. And then he talks about if we're going to be happy people, that happy people, uh, blessed people influence the world like salt and light do. He talked to us about how we should be living at a higher level than what the law requires. And then in chapter six, he got into spiritual disciplines and the motivations behind them. He talked to us about worry, why we worry, why it robs us of the freedom that we can have of walking with God. And now he begins to start landing the plane a little bit. And he's going to talk in this section about judging. And it's like, well, why, why talk about that at all? But why talk about that here? Because if you will do what Jesus has said that we've looked at in the last couple of chapters, your life is going to start looking very different. Your life is going to start changing in radical ways as things get better. And the natural tendency that we will have as things start to get better and our lives look like we've got it together is that we might look at those who don't have it together as they have a lack of faith or a lack of uh, commitment or, or something like that. And what Jesus wants to show us is something different. That if we've got our lives together, it's not for the sake of comparing, it's for the sake of helping. And, um, but how do we do this in the right way? And that's what Jesus wants to talk about. How do we deal with this in our own hearts and lives as we share with other people? So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1. And here's what we read. He says, Judge not that you not be judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And if you pause there and give me your attention, uh, first thing I want to tell you, we're going to look at three things today about judging. And, and the first thing is this, is that I need to understand the boomerang effect of judging. Now, this section is very popular amongst those who are not Christians because non-Christians love sharing this verse whenever a Christian has an opinion about anything. And so they'll, they'll, you'll say whatever. They'll be like, hey, man, didn't Jesus say don't judge? Didn't Jesus say let him who's without sin cast the first stone? I don't know why I'm making this person sound like he's stoned. Um, but uh, so, but didn't Jesus say don't judge or whatever? And it's like, well, they have no idea what Jesus meant by that, but they think that if Jesus said don't judge, then that must mean you need to approve of everything that everyone does at any given time or at any moment. And so we quote Matthew 7, 1. He's going to be all right, I promise. Just eyes up here. He's going to be okay. I promise. Kids, I don't know if you guys know this. Kids cry. Did you know that? It's, and if you don't, you, you should have one. And you'll, you'll find out. You'll find out. And so it's going to be, he's going to be all right. Unless it's a she. She's going to be all right. But I couldn't tell. So I can see from up here. But, so, but what we quote is, we quote Matthew 7, so they'll quote Matthew 7, 1, and they'll say, they'll say, like, oh, well, that's what Jesus said. Don't, as if that's the only thing that Jesus ever said on the subject. It's not. Jesus had plenty to say on the subject. Jesus said this in John chapter 7, verse 24. He said this, do not judge according to appearance but judge with righteous judgment. So it's like, don't, if you're going to judge, judge the right way. And so the challenge that we have is that Jesus in one place says, don't judge. And another place says, if you're going to judge, do it the right way. And it's almost like there's something else going on, or there's a piece of information that we're missing that we need to really understand this. And we need to, we misunderstand because once again, we're reading an English translation of words that were written in originally in, in the Greek language. And there's two different words in the Greek, there's many different words in the Greek language for judge. But the, the two that we're going to look at is the, the Matthew verse and the Gospel of John verse. When Jesus says judge not, it is this Greek word krino, which means this, to condemn. It means to judge for the sake of condemning someone. 
The other passage, when Jesus says judge with righteous judgment, it's, it's, it's diacrino, which means to identify. And that is that there's a moment that we can look, some, look at something and we are making a judgment call based on, is this really good for me or not? Oh, I don't think it is. Okay, then I'm, making, I'm doing diacrino. I think it is good for me. I'm doing diacrino. I'm identifying. What Jesus is saying to not do is condemn people. He's saying don't condemn people because if you use that measure on people, that's the measure people are going to use on you. And by the way, have you noticed that nobody wants that? Every, you know, everybody wants whatever it is that we do. That every, we want everyone to be gracious with us. Well, if we want people to be gracious with us, we probably need to be a little more gracious with them. Now, here's the other thing that you need to know to help this passage really makes sense, is that the leading rabbis in Jesus' time had a teaching that God had two measures that he used to judge. One was a measure of justice. The other was a measure of mercy. And Jesus is drawing on that idea. And he says, do you think it's more beneficial to you to be judged with a measure of judgment or a measure of mercy? Because whatever you decide, to, the way you're going to measure others is what God's going to do with you. And, and, and by the way, when, well, we would say, well, mercy, of course. Right, okay. But by the way, the thing that's important for us to note is that when we talk about mercy, just because you're merciful doesn't mean you approve of everything that everyone does at any given time, right? Mercy just means you're seeking God's best for them and you aren't hoping for judgment. But Jesus had a way of accepting people without accepting every single thing that they did. He had a, a way of loving people without loving every action that they were involved in. The enemies of Jesus recognized that drove them crazy, right? Because Jesus would have dinner with tax collectors. Now, that sounds weird because you love the IRS. But back then, <laughs> back then, people did not like to give money to the government. They're not enlightened like us. We're like, just, we love it, right? And uh, no, we don't. We still don't. And so... But, here, but that's, that's the problem, right? It is that, um, and so Jesus would sit with tax collectors. And by the way, these guys, these tax collectors back then, it wasn't just that they were collecting taxes. It's that they were working for Rome. They were exploiting their own people and they were getting rich themselves in the process. So Jesus has dinner with tax collectors and not, it, it's not like he's like, hey, I just want you to know, man, great job on the career choice. You're really killing it. And, and, no, Jesus isn't doing that. But Jesus loves the person. And because he wants the person to change, there's got to be some level of relationship. And so he sits with them, showing them some mercy so that they can now have some engagement. And you know what you see? People that were tax collectors begin to follow him. And one of the problems with this passage, it's not really a problem with the passage, it's a problem with our culture, is that our culture is so fragile. It, it can't handle any kind of divergent opinion. If you disagree with someone in our culture on anything, you are now mortal enemies. Because for a culture that values tolerance so highly, they have zero tolerance for anyone that disagrees with them. Isn't that fascinating? And, and you know what that's the sign of, FYI? It's the sign of a weak argument. Whenever they're like, no, I can't hear what anybody else who doesn't agree with me, I can't hear what they think. That just means you've got a weak argument. Because let me tell you how people have grown in wisdom, how they've grown in perspective, and how they've grown in knowledge from the beginning of time. They have sat with people, had conversations with people with different views. And every view that you hold, you probably didn't hold at one point in your life, but someone shared something with you and you said, you know what? Yeah, that's really good. And you embraced it. That's probably, you weren't born a Christian. No one is born a Christian. 
And so at some point you heard the gospel and you're like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And maybe you investigated the Christian faith. You know what you found? That there's a lot of evidence for the Christian faith. And you're like, yeah, that's, that's true. But the, and the challenge is in that whenever you sit with someone that has a different view than you, you, one of two things happens. Either you see the strength of their argument and you say, wow, you know what? Your idea on this is a little better than my idea, so I'm going to adopt your idea. Or someone presents their idea and you're like, yeah, that's kind of flimsy. And, it's, and because your idea held up against the scrutiny, now you are more strengthened in your own view. And, and this is, once again, and this is just a problem, that this is a, a huge problem that we have in our culture. We cannot talk to people. We're talking at people. We're talking past people. And we're not going to reach anyone until we, learn how to have, uh, until we learn how to have a conversation. And so, because sometimes when I judge for identification, that is, I'm judging, saying, is this God's best for someone? And, and I say, yeah, hey, I hear what you're saying. I just don't believe it's God's best. I can't believe you hate me and all that I stand for. Uh, that's actually not what I said. I just said, I don't believe this is God's best for you. And that is, it's a totally different thing. So let me explain it this way. A couple of months ago, I was making lunch for my family. And I had made lunch for everyone except me. And you ever do that? You make lunch for everybody else and you're like, all right, let's eat. And you're like, Oh, snap, I didn't make anything for myself. So I'm just going to make something real fast. I decided to make a grilled cheese. And uh, I'm getting ready to put the bread in the pan. And I say to my wife, hey, does this look okay? And there's this little spot on the bread. And my wife starts screaming. And she's like, don't eat it. Don't touch it. It's mold. Step away. Don't even breathe. You can breathe it in. She slaps it out of my hand. She almost tackled me like she was a member of the Secret Service trying to protect the president. And so... And I, and I stood up and I was like, how dare you judge me in my life choices? Jesus said, don't judge. You should support me and love me no matter. That was not what I said. I was grateful because she judged and identified that something was going to hurt me and she loved me enough to identify it as unhealthy. And, and listen, and just to kind of belabor the point, when, G, you know, the, hey, didn't Jesus say the, 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 the verse, the, it makes me crazy. And... Uh, <laughs> Because once again, people just say, it's, it's, it's like as if these verses are just in orbit somewhere and, and they don't have any context. So Jesus says, let he who is without sin uh, cast the first stone. And then everybody walks away, right? And you're like, see, Jesus, you just can't judge anyone's life choices. Whatever they do is fine. No, look at what happens when Jesus has a conversation with the woman. Look at what he says at the end of the story. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one, Crino? condemned you. She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Look at what he's saying. He doesn't condemn her, but he does correct her. He doesn't say, you know, hey, where's all, where's all your accusers? Oh, they're, they're all gone. All right, YOLO, baby. You know what to do, right? <laughs> he doesn't say that because that would be weird for Jesus to say YOLO. And, uh, but he doesn't do that. Instead, he says, listen, I'm not condemning you. When he says go and sin no more, what is he saying? The road that you're on isn't a good one. The road that you're on is what got you here. So let's move on from this ordeal and live differently. You see, the point is this, is that the idea of correcting or the idea of lovingly confronting people that we care about and sharing, hey, this isn't God's best for you, it's never licensed to be a jerk. 
But it's a responsibility, and the responsibility is always on us to speak the truth in a way so that people can hear it. I want to share a, pas- a familiar passage with many in, in Ephesians chapter 4 that the Apostle Paul would say this, instead, speaking the truth in love. And, and a lot of times we've heard that phrase, speaking the truth in love, but we don't know what happens when we speak the truth in love. Look what happens when we speak the truth in love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. When we speak the truth in love, that is when I recognize the person and say, how do I communicate this in a way so that they will receive it? I have to share the truth, but I'm not really sharing truth if I just blast them with it and they can't receive it. So I've got to either build the relationship or just try to communicate in a way so that they'll hear it. And when we do, listen, we will grow. The person who hears it grows because they hear God's heart on a situation. And by the way, we grow as well because we've taken into account the way to walk like Jesus and speak the truth in a way that people hear. We're truthful and we are compassionate. Well, he goes on in verse three and he says this. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not consider the plank in your own eye. Or how do you look at your brother? Uh, or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye. Then you'll, uh, you will see clearly to remove the speck in your brother's eye. And do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample uh, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. And if you pause there and give me your attention, second thing I want you to know, if I need to understand, number one, the boomerang effect of judging, here's number two, is that I need to deal with my own issues first. I love this passage because Jesus is inserting some humor. This whole, uh, and, and once again, it may not seem that funny to us in that culture to say if you've got a little piece of sawdust in your eye and you've got a two by four coming out of your, I mean, that's, that's pretty, I think that would have brought the house down. And um, so I like to follow that example and uh, say, you know, share some humor. And then there's some people that don't get it because they were born without a sense of humor. And you just gotta have like an operation or something to get one installed. And um, which, that's funny, but some people don't find that funny because they haven't had the operation yet. So anyway, but he's showing the absurdity of this by using this wonderful illustration of judging. And, and just to update it, he's saying, you're judging your brother because he's got a piece of sawdust in your eye and you got a two by four hanging out of yours. And he's like, no, 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 here's what you've got to do. Get rid of the two by four, then you're going to be able to help someone else. And by the way, Jesus isn't saying never have an opinion, don't tell anyone that what they're doing is wrong, just smile and say, hey, baby, everything is okay. No, what he's saying is you can share that, but deal with your own issues first. And then you're going to be able to help them out. And there's another reason why that I'm going to talk about uh, in, in, in just a moment. Because there's something that happens to us when we're not seeing clearly. And, and that is, we just, it, it starts messing with us. Um, probably, goodness, probably 11, 12 years ago, I was, uh, we did a family vacation at Disney World. And I was giving my son, Xander, uh, a bath, put on his pajamas, I brushed his teeth, and then I needed to, I was looking for something in the room, and I'm, I'm holding him, and I'm looking for something, I let him hold the toothbrush, and while I was looking for something, I turned, and he stabbed me in the eye with the toothbrush, which wasn't great. The good news is my eye smelled minty fresh. Uh, the bad news is I couldn't see. And so what happened is, is that I went to sleep that night and I thought, I'm gonna go to sleep. And then the next morning, 
it'll all be, it'll be fine. Well, the next morning, I couldn't see anything. It was all blurry in, um, in my left eye. And, but we were going to go to one of the parks. And uh, because I'm a man, I do weird things. And um, it's just part of our nature. And I still demanded to drive, even though I couldn't see. And so when I, I, just, I had one eye, and I just kept the one eye closed. And then I just turned to make myself kind of like a cyclops. So I just kind of so if I put my eye in the middle. I mean, it, you know, so I was just, you know, okay, here we go. And so now, now if, 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 if there's no traffic when you leave here, you just try that. Try that for, you know, and then when you hit the median, stop. But you just kind of do this. Well, I was doing this on I-4. And so, um, and once again, it, it doesn't work. That's why you don't see very many pirates on the road. All right? They're just staying, they're staying on the open seas. And so, and, but what was happening is, is that my lack of vision in one eye was so messing with my depth perception, I couldn't tell how far or close a car was, which led to some very interesting adventures on the road. My wife told me that her prayer life was never better than it was at that moment. She's like, I was so close to God because uh, I, was, I, was, I thought I was going to meet him shortly. And um, which now it makes sense, right? When you realize, oh, uh, that's why Johnny Depp married that crazy woman because he was played a pirate for so many years. He wasn't seeing clearly. That's how that worked. That's how that worked. And, um, and by the way, oh, thank you. Th I appreciate that. And by the way, just FYI, I did not watch any of that trial and, uh, because I, I really do have things to do. And, uh, but I had two friends that would give me all the updates. And so they're like, did you know what happened today? I'm like, you know I don't. And they're like, okay, this is what happened. So I did find it very, fa the whole thing very fascinating, um, hearing it from other people. I mean, and, and I'm sure they'll make a movie about it at some point. I mean, maybe these two crazy people will star in it. Um, but, uh, but here's what happens is that, but Jesus is giving us an illustration, is that if you have something in your eye, you cannot see anything. And you certainly can't help anybody else. So you've got to get the thing that is impairing your vision out so that you can help. And the thing that Jesus is saying is that if the small, think about it, when you get something in your eye, isn't it weird that you can have just like a little, the littlest thing, an eyelash gets in your eye and your whole life stops. And you're, I mean, you're, you're, you're bumbling around, you're walking into wall, like everything is, why? Because of one little thing. And this is the point that Jesus is making is that we, we have to realize if we've got something even greater to deal with, we're not going to be able to talk to anybody about anything. And this is what happens sometimes, is that maybe you get into an argument with your spouse, and they say the wrong thing, and we freak out. Oh, you're insensitive and hurtful and all this. But if we say the wrong thing, we're like, come on, that's not what I meant. You know, let's, let's assume goodwill, you know, and all that. And it's like, well, what, how come you didn't assume goodwill? Why? It's because you got the plank situation going on, and, and you're just, you know, it's, it's, it's well, you know, it's, it's not what you said. It's, it's, it's how you said it. It's intonation. It was really, that's why I'm, that's why I'm furious. It's the intonation. And it's like, okay. And, and, but, but once again, if, and this is the thing that Jesus is saying, and, and sometimes we want to skip over this. Jesus is saying, hypocrite, like deal with this, right? And, and, and Jesus, part of Jesus' definition of hypocrisy is when we're way more concerned with someone else's problem than we are with fixing our own. Or when we see someone else's problem and we do not see the need for us to fix what's wrong with ourselves. And by the way, the it, real issue is that hypocrisy like this kills relationships, in Proverbs 11, you'll see it up on the screen, it says, the hypocrite with his mouth destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge the righteous is delivered. 
Jesus is making this point that when, if we will deal with our own issues, we can be of real help to other people. But that takes humility. Uh, in this culture, mirrors existed. They just weren't as common as they are now. But to get, so to get something out of your eye, more than likely, you needed someone's help. And you needed someone to get very close to you and see what was in your eye. And that took some trust. How much do you trust someone to stick their finger in your eye and get something out? I mean, there's probably, what, two people in the world that you trust to be that close to you to get something uh, out of your eye? But you know, there's something wonderful that takes place when you are struggling with something, you overcome it, you see victory in that area, and now you see the very issue that your brother uh, or sister is dealing with. It makes you so compassionate about the person who has struggled. And that compassion can be felt. When someone is compassionate towards you, you are willing to listen because they know what you're experiencing. But what if they don't want to listen? And that's why Jesus says in verse six, if they don't listen, then just don't waste your time. And that's why he says, you know, don't give what's holy to the dogs. Don't trample or, you know, don't, don't cast your pearl that is something of value before swine. Someone doesn't, doesn't care. He says, you know, just don't, don't waste your energy. And uh, because, listen, and, and this is important. I think all of us need to embrace this. It is not your job to change people. You can. Listen, we can't even change ourselves. That's, that's a work of, of God working in our lives and, and a desire that we have that we want him to work in us. And I tell people this all the time when they're like, you know, but my husband, my wife, my kids, my uh, in-laws, and I'm like, there's no hope there. And, uh, and so, you know, my family and whatever, and then here's, and, and, here, and I'll say, listen, I need you to memorize this, okay? They are the words of John the Baptist. And here's what he said when they asked him a question. He said this, I am not the Christ. You need to, you need to memorize that. And you need to remind yourself daily, you aren't the Savior, Jesus is. The best we can do is point people to him. And if they aren't interested, then you still love them. But you don't have to carry the weight of the world trying to be someone else's Messiah because you are not him. And here's the thing that we, that we need to be aware of, right? Is that at some point, we've all been the dog, right? Don't, don't give what's holy to the dogs. There have been moments in our lives. I remember when I was in high school um, and I would uh, there, there was this guy in the mall, and it's, it's actually a wonderful story, and someday I'll tell it to you, um, and, but I'll, I won't tell you today, but I'll tell you one part, is that he would walk up to me, and pretty much every week, or every time I went to the mall, he would share the gospel with me, and I remember thinking, like, this guy is just wasting his time. I don't even know why anybody does this, and, and he, would, he would share the gospel with me, and, and anyway, um, <laughs> joke's on me, but um, so... But I remember thinking, like, this is so ridiculous what this guy's doing. But at some point, listen, I was the dog because I didn't care. He was giving me something that was holy and meaningful and the most important message in the world, and I didn't see the value in it. And at some point, all of us have been there. We have all rejected or ignored God's truths. And here's what the Apostle Paul would say. He'd give us this challenge in, in Galatians chapter 6. He'd say, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome, by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Our perspective on someone else's sawdust changes when we acknowledge that we have struggled with the same thing or the equivalent of the same thing. And so here's what we do. We walk humbly, seeking to help as we deal with our own issues. And if they aren't open, then we love them anyway and see it as a closed door for now and we move on and we let them know that we're there for them. And then 
hoping that at some point there's going to be a moment. And, and we just, we keep praying and waiting. And that's why Jesus brings this up next in verse 7. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, last thing I want to tell you is that I need to recognize God's faithful character. In the original language, and I'm not trying to bore you with a bunch of Greek, but um, when it says ask, seek, and knock, it's in this imperative form in the Greek language, which literally means keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. The idea is, is that asking, seeking, and knocking isn't a one-time thing. It is a persistent and consistent attitude where we aren't wavering on what we're asking of God. Now, there is no better illustration as to who understands the persistence game better than anyone else, and that is your children. Your children understand the persistence game better than anyone because your kids, just like my kids, are relentless. And they will ask, and no amount of discouragement, no amount of you saying no, will deter them from their desired goals. Hey, can I go to this place? No. Okay. Hey, how about now? You just asked me 20 seconds ago. Well, just things change. And, and they just, okay. And they and then, how about now? I mean, they just, and it just, it does, it's not like you ask once, they're like, well, I guess I'm never going to, no, kids don't operate like that. You know, when, um, when Christmas time comes around at, at our house, and my kids turn in their Christmas list, and I don't know how this happened, but my kids turn on their Christmas list on Labor Day weekend. <laughs> and so that, that's when they send in their preliminary uh, Christmas gifts. It used to be an actual written out list, now They've changed it. It's, this is all uh, done through email and text so that they can, get a, uh, they can update the document as we get closer. And so, um, and they'll, you know, and whatever. You can ask for whatever you want. doesn't mean you're going to get it. And so, and, and so, but what happens is, is that as you get from Labor Day to now the beginning of October, things change on and off the list. By the time you get to Halloween, you're getting a little closer, more solid list. Definitely first couple weeks into uh, November, but things have changed. From the first list to the last list, there's been a lot of movement. And so you're looking at what are the things that they've been consistently asking for over the course of this entire, uh, over this entire time. And so my son, uh, who, who's turning 13 next month, but he has loved Legos uh, since he was, I don't know, two or three years old. And this is a few years ago. He wanted this Lego set from the uh, animated series Star Wars Rebels. He wanted the, the main ship that they fly, which is called the Ghost. And it was 89 bucks. Now with inflation, it's probably 400. But um, <laughs> it was 89 bucks uh, back then. Um, and so he, the kid had been working hard. And he was saving money. He had kept all of money from his birthday and doing chores and all this. And so he's like, hey, can you go online and see how many points we have on our Lego VIP card? Because I don't know if you know this, it is impossible in this world to buy anything without being sucked into a rewards program. And uh, by the way, sign up for our rewards program here at Calvary before you leave. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> 
sorry. I just came up with that. I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think that through a little more. So anyway, but <laughs> sorry, sorry. I really liked that. I'm sorry. I'm just, some of these jokes are just for me. Uh, so, but anyway, so he had 10 bucks worth of rewards points on there and he was still 20 bucks short. And so every minute of every hour of every day, this kid would talk to me about the ghost and he was making me crazy. And, uh, and, and he's like, you know, dad, the ghost, have we talked about this? And uh, you know, the ghost, it comes with all of the characters, you know, they all have the lightsabers. And I'm like, oh, I know, I get it. And he's like, you know, and then, you know, the ghost had the, the other ship on top and it comes with the other ship, it's detachable. And it slides them, yeah, yeah, we, we talked about that. And then I sat him down and I'm like, Zan, here's, here's what I'm gonna do. Um, I'm gonna give you the 20 bucks. And, um, and, and so, because we were going to uh, Orlando, I was gonna speak at this conference. And so, uh, they were gonna, the kids were going to come with me for a couple days, and I said, so here, here's, what, here's what we're going to do. I said, I'm giving you the $20, and while I'm speaking at this conference tomorrow, your mom is going to take you to the Lego store at Disney Springs, and she's going to buy you the ghost. And this, was, this kid was the happiest kid on the planet, and I thought, $20, and I didn't tell him this, but that is a bargain for peace of mind <laughs> because he was making me crazy. And so anyway, I give him the 20 bucks, I go to the conference, I, do, I have to speak a couple times, and then I come home, and uh, he's got it, and he's like, Dad, look, we got the ghost, and he's like, look, everything I showed you, and I'm like, yeah, I get, I get it, okay, that's good. And, uh, and he's like, hey, so can we build it? And I'm like, absolutely not, because you can't build stuff like this in a hotel, because things are going to get lost, and then the other problem is, is that then we have to do a transport because we're leaving tomorrow. And so then I've got to take this thing back home and there is no way, everything that we have worked on will be destroyed. And so anyway, so um, we're, we're next day we're driving home and um, for four hours on the way home, he talks to me about building the ghost, how great it will be to build the ghost. And dad, did I tell you that they came with the lightsabers with the whole crew? Yes, I did know that. Jesus, take the wheel. And, uh, and so... Uh, I, and, and so we're talking about that. So uh, we get home, and I don't know if you know this, when you have young kids, if you go anywhere for a day, you have to take three quarters of your earthly possessions wherever it is that you're going because kids need things and you need things for them, and it is a mess. So we, I get everything out of the car, and, um, and, and I'm, I'm moving suitcases and bringing in all this stuff. And then, you know, my, my wife packs like six bags of food uh, to go there. And then we end up bringing home eight bags. I don't even know how that works. It's like, I'm telling you, it's like that story of the loaves and fish in the gospels that it's just the stuff just starts multiplying. And then I'm bringing in all this other stuff. Then I finally get all the clothes and put them in the laundry room, get the suitcases down. And my son is sitting at the dining room table with the ghost. And he has, now he's opened it and he has all the bags ready with the uh, instruction book and the little thing with the stickers. And, and he's just like, he's like, hey, so dad, uh, what, what you up to? And I'm like, what am I up to? I have just repopulated this entire house with all of our stuff. And, uh, and, and, and he's like, well, are, are you done? And uh, I'm like, just finished. And he's like, oh, that's great. Can we build the ghost? And, uh, and I, 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 
sweet Lord. Uh, and, and, and he's like, and then, and I'm like, okay, j- give me a minute. And so I come back. He's like, dad, look, I want to help. And so look, I opened all the bags. And so now, you know how Legos come in different bags? Well, he's like, I opened all the bags. He had opened all the bags and he put them in one giant mountain. And um, that's about the moment I lost the will to live. And so, <laughs> and so anyway, I, I, and I, I was just like, okay. And so for the next five hours, and I'm talking like one in the, we were like uh, 12, one in the morning, and he's falling asleep like, wake up! We're in it now, kid! And so, and so, because I knew, I knew I would have no joy in my life until it was done because he was not going to let up. Now, that is persistence, all right? And let me tell you what happens. We don't pray like that. We, here's, we pray like, hey, Lord, I got this thing going on, and if you would, if you would help me out, that would be great. I have this other plan. And so you got until like this show that I'm watching is over, but if you don't work it out, I'm going into action. And, and, that, and that's what we do. And we, we do that. And then, but, we, but that's, not, that's not persistence. There is something wonderful that happens when we persist and we pray and we ask and we seek and we knock over a period of time. God has this way of molding our will into his will. We start out praying about something, and if you've ever prayed for a long period of time about something, you know this to be the case, is that you start praying about something, and it's about what you want, and over the course of time, God starts working in you and on you, and your prayer begins to change. Because listen, in reality, prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes me. Prayer changes us. It aligns our heart with God's heart. And listen, when my heart aligns with God's heart, I start praying according to his will. And Jesus promises that if I will pray according to his will, he answers. And this is the challenge of prayer, is asking the question, do we really believe that he's going to answer? And that's why Jesus closes this section by comparing us as dads with our heavenly father as a dad. Because if our heavenly father is delaying, it's not because he's playing hard to get. It's because he's deepening our commitment and growing us. It's not because he's forgotten us. It's because he's working behind the scenes. It's because he's working on us and he wants to work through us and he's getting us ready for the thing that he's gonna do, that he's gonna bring into our lives. Because listen, if you're a dad, here's what you want to bless your kids. As a heavenly father, our father wants to bless us. He simply wants us to be able to handle the blessing and be able to really receive it. That's why this section ends with the golden rule right? That whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now understand, and this is why I say that sometimes people think that verses in the Bible just live in some kind of vacuum. They don't live in a vacuum. The, the golden rule, that is do unto others, that begins with what happens here. He says, therefore, in light of what? In light of the fact that God is good, that God is good and that he, he comes to us with a father's love. If this is what the father is like, giving good gifts to his kids, then we should treat people in the way that they want to be treated. Jesus, this is why connecting these verses and keeping them in context matters. Because how you view God will determine how you treat people. If you view God as some kind of wrathful deity who is looking for you to get out of line so that he can squash you, 
we will probably treat people the same way. If you believe that God is a loving father who who gives good gifts to his kids, then you will probably treat people that way instead. When I was getting my undergrad in theology, um, after all the coursework that we had done, there was a list of books that we had to read uh, that that were required. And one of them was by an author named A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer wrote this book that was called The Knowledge of the Holy. And one of the things that he writes at the very beginning of the book, he says this sentence that has impacted me for half my life. But he said this, he said, what you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Now I'm gonna say that again because this is an important thing for us to realize. He says, what you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Why is that the case? Because everything else in your life will emerge from the answer to that question. That's why Jesus asks, do you believe that if you ask for bread, God will give you a stone? Some of us, if we're being honest, would say, yeah, I think so. I think that God will leave me hanging. I feel like maybe he has. And listen, and that belief is rooted in how we treat people. If we're unloving and unkind and we condemn harshly, it's because that's what we believe about God at, our, at the root. And nothing in our lives will change until we deal with this issue. Because at the root, there's this belief that I prayed for a good thing and didn't get it. I asked for bread and God gave me a stone. But here's the thing that we don't realize is that what if we weren't, what if we thought we were asking for bread, but we actually weren't? What if we were asking for a stone or a serpent, but we just didn't realize it? That at some point it becomes a matter of trust because we have limited perspective and we cannot see beyond our own experiences and our limited wisdom. If God's plans for your life are greater than the plans that you have for yourself, sometimes being in the waiting room, it doesn't feel like that. When I'm waiting for God to answer. But listen, it doesn't make it any less true that his plans really are greater. And there is something about this process of asking, seeking, and knocking that draws us to the place of knowing to ask for the right thing. When I was in college and uh, I was going to school during the day, I took a job as a delivery guy at night. And so I was just delivering food. And there was a few times that I'd get to a location, and this is before, you know, GPS, and we were all writing things on tablets of stone. And... um, and so I'd get, to, I'd get to a house that I was delivering to and I would knock on the door and no one would answer. And I always had this thing, I'm like, who orders food and then leaves? And I would knock and knock and knock and then I would just take a look at the address again and I would say, oh, this is, this is 83rd Terrace. I'm supposed to be at 83rd Place. And I would hop in my car, I would drive one street over, I would knock on the door and the door would be open. Here's the point. Sometimes we've been knocking for a long time and we're just knocking on the wrong door. And the process of asking, seeking, and knocking is God to change our heart, to get us to start knocking on the right door because he's made us a promise that if we'll knock on the right door, he'll open. If we ask for the right thing, he'll fulfill it. And God is just too good to give us anything less than what we really need. You know why? Because he really does love you. Because he really is a loving heavenly father who desires to bless you and transform your life into the likeness of Jesus. And he loves you enough even to be a little misunderstood by us in the moment. Because he has plans for us that are too good to even let us spoil them 
for ourselves. So here's what we do. We keep asking because we know that when we ask for the right thing, he's going to answer. We keep on seeking because when we seek for the right thing, we're going to find it. We keep on knocking because when we knock on the right door, the door is going to open. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you for that, for that truth, for that promise that if we will ask, seek, and knock continually, we'll find, we'll know, the door will open, and we'll get to where we need to be as we become the people we were created to be. And so we thank you for that. I thank you, God, for every person here that's seeking to know you better. I pray that we would, that we really, when we answer the question, what we think about when we think about God, that we would see you and know you for who you really are as a loving heavenly father who's never going to leave us, who's never going to forsake us. And we pray it in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.